what will play an important role is the co-located role of wind production as well as solar production as well as having hydrogen storage available cheap geological hydrogen storage those components together at the same location will enable the lowest cost green hydrogen supply and therefore the most competitive new clean hydrogen industrial clusters. Welcome to the Energy Current podcast, brought to you by the management consulting firm, Oliver Wyman. This episode is hosted by Christine Omansor, an energy partner based in Boston, who is joined by Alexander Lesh, also an energy partner at Oliver Wyman and featuring Andreas Wagner, expert at Systemic and lead author of a recent report by the Energy Transition Commission on making the hydrogen economy possible. This episode will explore how hydrogen can play a role in achieving net zero goals and some of the key challenges on the path forward. Thank you for joining and we hope you enjoy the show. In this episode, we will be having a conversation around the significant role that hydrogen will play in the energy transition and in the transition to a zero carbon economy. As of today, an increasing number of nations have begun to include hydrogen as a critical aspect of their transition strategies, with some already having dedicated hydrogen plans. So it's becoming increasingly clear that hydrogen will play a pivotal role in the energy transition. Andreas, could you share your thoughts with us on why hydrogen plays such a crucial role in the decarbonization of economies? Absolutely. So hydrogen will play a very crucial role in the decarbonization of sectors that will likely remain impossible or uneconomic to electrify. So electrification is really the key decarbonization sectors that we have in our arsenal. And hydrogen then sort of plays the second biggest role after that. It effectively extends the reach of renewables to what we call the hard to abate industry and transport sectors. So those include already existing uses of hydrogen in, for example, the fertilizer production, but also in sectors such as the production of steel, which is a sector that accounts for approximately 7% of our global CO2 emissions from the energy and industry sector today. So really emission intensive sectors that we will also need to decarbonize to get to a net zero world by 2050. And while there is a lot of discussion about how much and where clean hydrogen may play a role in a net zero world, crucially, we should remember that it plays a role in all net zero strategies. So we will require clean hydrogen to ramp up and play a critical role in decarbonizing our economy. So in essence, electrify wherever it's possible, but use hydrogen wherever it's not feasible. Yeah, thank you, Andreas. Just to add on this, from my perspective, hydrogen technology is something which is not completely new. So it is a mature technology, which clearly got an additional dynamic and significance based on the decarbonization targets, which were agreed and committed in the Paris Agreement. And as Andrea said, purely with electrification, the economies and the government and also the companies which are now committing towards net zero targets won't be able to achieve this. So there we see clearly that hydrogen is the natural complement and that on a global basis, more than 30 nations have already committed to hydrogen strategies and roadmap. Many others are in the process of developing this to be able to achieve CO2 targets. And the ones which have defined the strategy cover two-thirds of worldwide CO2 emissions. So in a net zero world, and also in a net zero scenario, hydrogen will play a key role to achieve the decarbonization targets. Thanks. Andreas, you touched on this in terms of the hard-to-abate sectors. 
I wanted to get more specific and talk about how companies in these different sectors, all of whom need to decarbonize, all of whom are impacted by the energy transition, how they're approaching different opportunities in hydrogen. So driven, I think, from this overall development and really the commitments from the governments to have hydrogen as a key element in their decarbonization target. This is also now clearly taken on board from the companies. So based on our discussions, they are clearly across all different sectors. We see that the topic is on the C-suite agenda of our clients and companies from a very wide variety of sectors really try to get an idea of the future market development and what role they should and can play in this environment. So there's a lot of traction currently and discussions which we see from a company perspective with our client. Andreas, if we switch the perspective a little bit from the company to the demand sector, how do you see the development there? What drives demand? What are key sectors and use cases? So at the Energy Transitions Commission, when we looked at the question of clean hydrogen demand, we tried to classify the use cases in sort of the following manner. We had four different buckets that we looked at. First of all, it's existing hydrogen use cases, which we need to make zero carbon. So they are currently heavy CO2 emitters because most of the hydrogen used today, over 99%, are being produced by emitting processes from coal and gas. So those demand sectors are, for example, the production of fertilizers or the use of hydrogen in the refining sector. Secondly, there's a large bucket where we have new long-term uses of clean hydrogen that will be substantial in a net zero world. However, they will only grow slowly as the technologies aren't always commercially ready yet. So we've already briefly touched upon it, but hydrogen-based steel reduction is one clear example there, but also the hydrogen-based fuels production for long-distance shipping and aviation. These sectors do not really have any other good method of decarbonization and therefore making hydrogen the front runner currently. And these sectors are very substantial and will contribute a significant new demand for clean hydrogen by mid-century. The third category we looked at, we classified as potential uses, but what the relative costs and advantages of hydrogen versus other decarbonization options are somewhat unclear still. So examples there include trucking, where the role of fuel cell vehicles versus electric trucks will somewhat depend on the progress that is still achieved in battery technologies and the cost developments that we will see there. But this also includes other examples, such as the provision of high temperature heat, for example, in industry, where both electrification as well as hydrogen for these technologies to produce 1000 degrees C are still low on their technology readiness level and both still need further development. And it is somewhat unclear at this point in time what decarbonization route will be the prevailing route going to a net zero economy by mid-century. And lastly, the fourth category we termed transitional opportunities, where we may be able to use clean hydrogen to enable emissions reductions in the short term, but they will by definition need to be phased out because they cannot reach zero carbon. That includes basically hydrogen blending and coal-fired processes such as blast furnaces for steel production, but also hydrogen blending into natural gas power plants, for example. So those four different categories is what we looked at. Existing uses, long-term uses that are somewhat clear and with a high confidence that hydrogen will play a role. Somewhat unclear third category and as a couple of transitional uses of hydrogen. 
Thank you. So I wanted to ask, because we see some differences between Europe and the countries in North America around how each ecosystem is approaching hydrogen. And traditionally in North America, we've thought about traditional gas in terms of producer versus consumer jurisdictions and economies. And hydrogen is really starting to blur the lines there, right? Because we're finding that we can do pilots for green hydrogen production in areas that have strong wind or even solar capabilities. But at the same time, we're seeing a lot of initiative being taken in the traditional gas economies like Texas and Alberta. So it's blurring the lines a little bit on the production side, but also it's interesting to see how this evolves because we're doing lots of pilots across North America at the minute. And I think we have a lot to learn. So I think reflecting on your point on the blurring of the different production and demand sites, I think we looked at this from both the green and the blue perspective, where in terms of blue hydrogen, so hydrogen derived from natural gas and using carbon capture and storage, I think a lot of it will remain fairly similar to what we see already today. So existing uses of hydrogen derived from natural gas as well. And it's basically just then adding a carbon capture and storage utility to it. But you're right that in terms of green hydrogen, it's very different where you would then look at the most favorable renewable electricity production sites. And in particular, in the first instance, what will play an important role there is the co-located role of wind production, as well as solar production, as well as having hydrogen storage available, cheap geological hydrogen storage. Those components together at the same location will enable the lowest cost green hydrogen supply and therefore the most competitive new clean hydrogen industrial clusters or overall locations for clean hydrogen development. Thank you, Andreas. So now let's talk a little bit about hydrogen supply and how hydrogen clusters tie to hydrogen supply and different types of hydrogen. Andreas, how do you see the evolution of hydrogen clusters? So I think that hydrogen clusters will play a really critical role in the scale-up of the hydrogen value chain, especially over the next 10 years, but even also thereafter. They somewhat enable a simultaneous development of hydrogen production, storage, transport, and end use at the same location, and thereby help to de-risk investments for all players involved. And we see quite a few of those developments already in Europe, but also in some other locations across the world. Partners or consortia can actually share those transportation storage infrastructure costs they can benefit from cost reductions because it's a larger scale at a cluster, but they can also leverage the fact that they as a consortia can apply for public funding together in one specific application. We looked at clusters at the Energy Transitions Commission, and we found four different archetypes that we think play a critical role. So firstly, around ports and the port infrastructure, where shipping will play the key role for demand. But also ports are often co-located with industrial consumers, such as we already discussed fertilizer or steel plants. Secondly, there's also non-coastal cluster type, which is cities in effect, where aviation, for example, can be a big off-taker, but also other industries. And then lastly, existing refinery and fertilizer sites, as well as steel sites, can provide the starting point for a clean hydrogen cluster. We've also found that clean hydrogen clusters will play a big role, but their biggest cost driver will be clean hydrogen production, especially the zero carbon electricity generation in the case of green hydrogen. So policy and industry action will really need to focus on providing low cost capital 
photohydrogen capex, so that can be, for example, via blended finance, or reducing the electricity bill, for example, via measuring the grid tariffs, to enable those particularly early clean hydrogen industrial clusters and enable business cases to get them off the ground. You're under To add on the clusters, one more point. There are certain countries like Germany, for example, which are very important in Europe besides the Netherlands, on developing the hydrogen business and as a cluster in, in total, West Germany together with the Netherlands. I think the exit of the coal-fired power is also an important point when you think about where future clusters could develop, because these kind of locations typically are quite interesting locations for larger electrolyzers and where you rather from the supply side look then for potential offtake or for potential demand around that locations because these locations are typically less expensive because they're existing capex-wise than if you are building an electrolyzer greenfield and you need to look for these kind of locations. I think in addition to this, from the supply side, you also need to acknowledge that the transition role of the blue hydrogen, we already tackled that to some extent, but blue hydrogen is really an important transition technology. It is quite controversial in some countries, like in Germany, but it is important to ramp up the hydrogen economy. Yeah, if I may jump in here and add a few comments, I fully agree from the Energy Transitions Commission's perspective. We think that blue hydrogen will play an important transition role, especially in the next 10 years, where it will remain cheaper than green hydrogen in many locations. And where I'm located right now in, in the UK, there is significant developments of blue hydrogen clusters. And one big advantage there is that different industries can actually share the installed CCS capability. So it's not necessarily only the hydrogen production, but also, for example, power plants and other emissions from refineries that could use this shared infrastructure for carbon capture and storage. Just one additional point also in blue hydrogen, what is really crucial is that we enable a high capture rate of the CO2, that a lot of the CO2 that is being produced, so more than 90% is actually being stored underground. And also that the methane emissions that are part of the upstream processing of the natural gas are limited to as low as feasible, because methane is a very strong greenhouse gas as well. And we need to really look at the full life cycle analysis of uh, blue hydrogen to enable it to be called truly green or clean hydrogen. Appreciate all the discussion. I think it's fantastic and definitely agree we need to get both blue and green down the technology and the commercial learning curves to get much more cost competitive. I would also posit that we, and we've touched on this previously as part of this conversation, right? Transportation and storage. So that we need to make production more economically efficient and technologically efficient. At the same time, we're going to need to create significant transportation and storage capabilities so that we can operationalize the hydrogen as an energy source for different applications. So maybe, Andreas, you can take us through some steps that we can think about to kind of overcome the challenges that we are seeing currently on transportation and storage. Absolutely. So transportation and storage systems, we will need for multiple reasons. So first of all, we need them to connect favorable production sites and storage sites together with the demand sites. So we've briefly touched upon this earlier on this question of how do we locate specific production sites and how close do they need to be to demand sites. I think especially the early industrial clusters, as I've mentioned, will share 
production, storage, transport, and demand of clean hydrogen. Overall, we think that clean hydrogen production will be feasible across the globe, and it will also go down in cost across the globe. So international trade may be somewhat limited to circumstances where the transport costs are relatively small compared to the differential of production costs. What should also be mentioned, maybe as last point here, is that there is also alternatives to hydrogen transport, such as the transmission of electricity through high voltage and direct current cables, or natural gas pipelines, in fact, that already exist, that are, again, having a limited amount of methane leakage, but would be able to be used as source for hydrogen, for blue hydrogen production at the end. Thank you, Andreas. And to add on this, what we will have within the next 10 years, also connected to the cluster discussion, is that we will have a strong focus on local production and local supply because the global supply chains, especially when it comes to green hydrogen production, do not really exist or still relatively expensive. But additionally, there needs to be also a focus in public policy on pulling forward clean hydrogen demand within this decade and beyond. I think it's an excellent point, especially in terms of cross-body collaboration, right? So governments, investors, corporations, even civil society are needing to come together, right, to really get the hydrogen economy off the ground. So we see hydrogen is really a hot topic, and I think we could go on for much longer, but I'm afraid that this is all we have in terms of time for today's episode. So Andreas, any final thoughts you would like to share with our listeners? Yeah, maybe just one point that I'd like to just reiterate from what I've said in the beginning. There's a lot of discussion around the topic of hydrogen right now in many different facets, and it's really a hot topic right now, and, and some people call it hype. And the important aspect is that we need to stay focused. As hydrogen is not a silver bullet. We don't need it in all sectors, in some sectors. Other decarbonization alternatives, very frequently electrification, make a lot more sense. But we will, regardless, require clean hydrogen and the scale-up of the clean hydrogen value chain for the decarbonization of our economy to get to net zero. So we shouldn't lose that focus somewhere in the middle of the aspect of, is it hype or is it just not useful at all? The truth is in the middle. Let's focus on trying to get clean hydrogen off the ground and enable a net zero economy by mid-century. Well, thank you so much, Andreas. This is the second forum discussion we've had. I always really enjoy and appreciate them and look forward to doing more with you. Also wanted to thank our listeners for joining today's show. So in the next episode of the two-part series, we'll be joined by Jamie Levin, who's from the Center for Transportation and the Environment. And we will continue the conversation around the pivotal role that hydrogen will play in the transition to a zero carbon economy. So if our listeners have any questions for Andreas or wanted to learn more about anything we have discussed today, please write to us. You can use at Oliver Wyman on Twitter and on LinkedIn. Thank you. Thank you for joining the show. We invite you to subscribe so you'll be notified when the next episode goes live.